Well, amen. Always good to hear a phenomenal testimony and word as well as song. We appreciate James and everything he's done here. But most of all, thank the Lord for what he's done in James' life. Amen. And I know you guys have a Bible with you, so I'm going to invite you to open it with me. Luke's Gospel, chapter 15 this morning. Luke, chapter 15. We also welcome our crowd downstairs in our 640 building. Uh, Got a packed house down there, so hopefully they're in tune with where we're headed as well. Luke, chapter 15, as we continue the subject series entitled Coming Home. Luke chapter 15, verse 11. Let me invite you just to stand in honor of God's word uh, this morning. Look in your Bible, verse 11. Jesus said, a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. So he divided his wealth between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey into a distant country. And there he squandered his estate with loose living. Now, when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country, and he began to become impoverished. And he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. And he would gladly fill his stomach with the pods of the swine were eating, and no one was giving anything to him. But when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread, but I'm dying here with hunger? I'll get up and go to my father's house and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. got up and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, against heaven and in your sight I'm no longer worthy to be called your son but the father said to his slaves quickly bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fattened calf kill it and let us eat and celebrate for this son of mine who was dead and has come to life again and lost he has now been found And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. And he summoned one of his servants and began inquiring of these things, how they could be. And he said to him, your brothers come home. Your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he became angry and wasn't willing to go in. And his father came at him again pleading with him, but he answered and said to his father, Look, for so many years I've been serving you and I have never neglected a command of yours, and yet you have never given me a young goat so that I may celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came and has devoured your wealth with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And the father said to him, Son, you have always been with me and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice for this brother of yours was dead and has begun to live and was lost and has been found. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Now put it into our hearts. And Father, I pray that this is not simply another sermon uh, to be listened to. uh, But Father, I pray that the power of the Holy Spirit would blow across our time of worship this morning in your word. God, I pray that you would call individuals home. And we'll give you glory for how you move. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Uh, grant me the ability to focus this morning and speak what you desire. And it's in Jesus Christ's name that we pray. And everybody said, amen. And you can be seated. Coming home. You know, Jesus gives three major parables in Luke's Gospel, chapter 15, to describe for you and I heaven's passion for seeing people come home. You know, true home is experienced in the context of an authentic and vibrant relationship with God the Father. 
You know, we saw last week that angels actually anticipate the salvation of a soul upon the earth because it motivates their joy in heaven while they witness the multicolored wisdom of God. And whenever a sinner repents and turns to the Lord, he or she is redeemed and actually experiences a sense of belonging and value as a member of God's household. We were created for the glory of God, and our hearts will never find rest until we find Him. And last week, we had an opportunity to see from the angel's perspective souls who were repenting and coming home. And the third parable gives us insight not into how the angels respond when an individual comes home, but this parable actually gives us insight into God the Father's heart towards those who come home. If the angels of heaven rejoice when one sinner repents, how does God respond? If the angels in heaven are overwhelmed with praise when one sinner repents, what does God do when you repent and you come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? What is his response? Now, it's very important as we begin to unpack this particular parable that we are reminded of the audience of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus tells us in Luke chapter 15 and verse 1, or rather Luke does, he says, all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to Jesus to listen to him. Now, tax collectors and sinners were actually considered a class of people in these particular days. Tax collectors uh, were individuals who were hated vehemently by those of Jewish culture. And the reason is that Rome was a central empire. They ruled most of the known world. But the only way that they could do that is if they paid many soldiers to actually exact judgment upon the lands that they oversaw. But in order to keep the soldiers happy and in order to keep them equipped, they had to take up taxes in every single town. And so they would collect taxes, typically asking for a Jewish individual in a Jewish culture to become a tax collector. But these soldiers were not good soldiers. These soldiers were angry, uh, violent murderous individuals that's the soldiers in fact if a riot occurred in any land the soldiers would swarm the place and they would put to death every single person who was involved in the riot including wives and children so they would literally take over violently and murder many people and so you can imagine what it would be like it would be like your next door neighbor deciding that they were going to take up money in your neighborhood to help fund these violent murderous people so the tax collectors were extremely hated by everyone and then you have this other particular class they are the sinners now, whenever I say sinners, you and I who grew up in church culture automatically think to the fact that everyone has sinned, and that is indeed true. But sinners were actually seen as a class of people in these particular days. Sinners, you'll remember, Jesus had some Pharisees come to him and ask about a blind man. They would ask, who sinned that this man was born blind, him or his parents? See, they saw those who were deformed in society as sinners. They saw those who were outside experiencing great turmoil in their life or even in their family's life as sinners. So these were the deformed of society, the lame, the blind, the crippled. 
But also in the context of those sinners is where you would find the worst of the worst, the prostitutes of the area. Those men who would purchase the prostitutes. These were the class of sinners. Now, Jesus is telling a parable to let you and I know how God responds when an individual comes home. And whenever we begin to look specifically at this parable and we note the younger son, the younger son is a depiction of the tax collectors and the sinners. Now, also listening to the Lord Jesus Christ at this time were the Pharisees and the scribes. Luke 15 and verse 2 tells us that. Now, the Pharisees were extremely religious. I'll focus a little more attention on them next week. But they were extremely religious. In order to be a Pharisee, you had to have memorized the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. You had to know the book word for word. Anybody in here got that going on? God bless all of you for being honest, right? You could not have been a Pharisee. These Pharisees, in order to show how serious they were about the law of God, actually created a list of traditions and rules, do's and don'ts, that actually were added to and laid beside the law of God. And so they would strenuously seek to live a righteous life. These were individuals who were considered by all of society to be the closest to God. Now, as you and I look at Luke chapter 15, the younger son represents the tax collectors and the sinners. But the older son, who stayed at home, represents the Pharisees and the scribes. Now, this morning, for uh, intents and purposes of this message, I want to focus primarily on the younger son. Next week, we'll look at the older son. But I want you to see primarily the response of God when a person comes home. So two major things we'll see this morning. Are y'all with me? Say yes. Here's the first deal. God's grace allows short-sighted living. God's grace allows short-sighted living. Look in your Bible again at verse 11 and 12. Jesus said, a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. So he divided his wealth between them. Now, Jesus describes a son who was suffering from an extreme short-sighted life in this parable. Short-sightedness is characterized in this parable in three major ways. First of all, there is a restless attitude. A restless attitude. The son was not satisfied with his particular life. In fact, he wasn't satisfied with the relationship in his life either. He asked his father immediately for the inheritance. And the inheritance is given to his son most often at the time of the father's death. So ultimately, the son is saying he would just assume his dad be dead than to have to stick around and stay in the house. You know, our finite minds cannot comprehend the scores of times which God the Father has witnessed a restless attitude in the soul of man upon the earth. People who are not satisfied with their life, unsatisfied people always a give-it-to-me-now attitude. There are those who foolishly suppress the truth of God's existence and in rebellion live their lives acting as if God does not exist. And there are those who believe He exists but live their life however they please. And they're guided by their own restless hearts and refuse to submit to the authority of God the Father. 
A heart that completely denies the existence of God the Father or a heart that seeks to live by his or her own authority is ultimately saying, I wish God were dead. Now we notice in the parable that the father divided the inheritance and he let his son go. God does this with his people as well. If they desire to shun him and go about living as if he does not exist or live in direct rebellion towards him, he will let them go. In fact, in Romans chapter 1, you and I are reminded that the Lord actually hands people over to a depraved mind. You see, it is a grace of God that he would allow a free moral choice in a man or woman's life to totally refuse him. And as a gentleman, he says, if you desire to go and go, you will find out ultimately you will never be satisfied, but go right ahead. It's the grace of God. He allows people to go. Now, check yourself this morning for a restless attitude. Check yourself to see this morning, are you unsatisfied in life? Are you feeling a little bit unsettled like you really would like to just leap and go in this direction and be driven perhaps by your own desires, your own imaginations when you find that seeping into your life, especially as a follower of Jesus, you better repent of it immediately. Restless attitudes will get you in trouble. In fact, we see that in the text. This restless attitude led to a reckless life. A reckless life. Look at verse 13 in your Bible. Not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey into a distant country. And there he, notice the Bible, squandered his estate with, notice it, loose living. Now the son thought, if I could just have some more money, The son thought, if I could make my own decisions, if I could just get away from here, then I will know what life is all about. And the son, he felt that when he was looking for his own life, literally, he was looking for it outside of the confines of home. He took his newfound wealth that he received from his father, and he spent it up. Gave it away. Jesus said he squandered it. This magnifies the point that he foolishly wasted his money. And the other son makes mention of what the son did with the money in verse 30. Says he devoured it. It describes the act of a wolf who gorges himself on a meal. The son had foolishly spent all of the money gorging himself on the desires of his own flesh. How so? Verse 30 says, with prostitutes. He was living a reckless life. How many people one cannot even fathom has God seen and witnessed do the same thing with their lives? They separate themselves from those who are closest to them by their attitudes and by their actions. And in efforts to feel the aching chasm, the great void in their soul for belonging and meaning, they give themselves over to their own base desires. Whatever feels good, they go after it. This could be the father this morning who sits in his chair alone drinking his cares away. This could be the mother who finds her pleasures piqued by text messaging someone who is not her husband. This could be the teenage boy who hides alone and when no one is looking, uh, stares at his pornography. This could be the teenage girl who gives herself to her boyfriend trying to find intimacy. 
You know, how often, I don't believe we can imagine, throughout the ages, how God the Father has seen individuals living reckless lives, separating themselves from the Lord, separating themselves from others. And the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 18 and verse 1 that a man who isolates himself is seeking his own desires. Now, ladies and gentlemen, this morning, some of the things that have been described concerning this younger son, this prodigal, or maybe even you, have been extravagant. But I want you to know that you can have a reckless and restless life even coming to church every single Sunday, far away from the Lord. It's what was going on with this young man. It's amazing, the grace of God, that he would not force himself upon an individual. If you want to go, go. But you will soon discover there's no satisfaction. So this restless attitude leads to this reckless life and then ultimately short-sighted individuals who are living without any concern for eternity lead a ruined life. 14 in your Bible. When he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country and he began to be impoverished. Now the son had wasted it all on trying to fill his soul's hunger. Now, listen closely, he is in a place where the hunger of his stomach would match the hunger of his own soul. How true that God sees people starving both physically and spiritually. And then verse 15, he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country and he sent him into his fields to feed with swine. Now the son had found himself in a foreign land working with animals that were considered by Jewish law as unclean. The boy in Jesus' parable would have undoubtedly been a Jew. Therefore, his time with the pigs would have highlighted his own sinfulness. You know, Pastor David from Texas says this, and I quote, The pig pen represents the ugly, putrid, hideous nature of sin. Verse 16, he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating and no one was giving anything to him. Now it's quite astonishing one time had held such promise and now he had as, is at his lowest. The future of the son thought taste so good ended up tasting like pig food. You know, his life had been completely ruined all by his own free moral choices. And how many have experienced the exact same thing while God was watching? He saw them rush to create their own destiny in pursuit of peace and happiness, and yet he spots them as completely ruined. He lives a life of extreme short-sightedness, who lives a life separated from God. How many are present even here this morning who are living in a very similar lifestyle? You're rushing headlong to create your own future. Personal happiness is your driving passion. If I could just have this, if I could just experience that, if I could just be married to him, if I could just be married to her, if I could just have that. And in all vain attempts to fill the eternal void in an individual's soul, you will never find the void filled apart from God. And you may be even here saying to yourself, that's me, man. I absolutely have ruined my life. I mean, I'm at the lowest of low. All right? You're living a life of extreme short-sightedness. 
Not considering actions or attitudes in light of eternity. Here's the deal. God's grace allows a person to live a short-sighted life. Person wants to walk away from the Father. He says, okay, I'm going to let you go if that's really what you want to do. And I will let you figure out that what you think will satisfy will actually not satisfy at all. Now, this old boy is in the pig pen. Are y'all listening? Say yes. He's at the bottom of his life without a shadow of a doubt. And then notice his rehearsed return in verse 17. The return. But when he senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men than enough bread. I'm dying here with hunger. I'll get up and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. So he got up and he came to his father. Now, ladies and gentlemen, this is a rehearsed return from the young man. Still a little bit confused if you consider for just a moment. He believed that in order to get back to his father, he would have to make amends for his wasted life. So he began to think, I'll go to my dad and tell him, here's what I will do. Here's the service that I will provide. Here's how I will work my way back into your good graces. Now, pause for a moment and consider the fact that the Pharisees and the scribes are listening to this story. And at this particular moment, without a doubt, they had to have known Jesus was speaking specifically about the tax collectors and the sinners. So they would have been amening this portion of the message. That's exactly right. What do they have to do to get back in the good graces of God the Father? What activity must they accomplish? What good deeds must they do? It's amazing here. You may be here this morning wondering the exact same thing. You've come to God's house, but you know you're really in the pig pen. Your life is ruined. You're looking now up because that's the only direction you can look. And you are wondering, even in your mind, what if I began to pray to God? What if I sought the Lord and asked for his forgiveness? What would he make me do to get back into the graces which he provides? How can I earn forgiveness? What activity must I be involved in? Now, it's amazing here how the father responds. The father does not, listen, even recognize the boy's rehearsed return. As soon as the boy comes talking, here's what I'll do, here's what I'll do, the father doesn't even say anything about it. It's pretty amazing. In fact, there's a second truth here in the text. Here's what God does when you come to him. God's grace joyously runs toward the repentant heart. God's grace runs towards you. Look in verse 20 in your Bible. He got up and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him. And he ran and embraced him and kissed him. Now the father saw him, and we can only imagine that the father would have looked down the road that leads home over and over and often. And on this particular occasion, he saw the silhouette of his son walking down the road and immediately he felt compassion on him. And the word compassionate literally means to have pity on someone's condition. God has great pity, great mercy on the person who comes to their senses. And that was the deal. The old boy in the pig pen, he came to his senses. Look at the preacher this morning, eyeball to eyeball. Some of you came to church this morning because it is time for you to come to your senses. God is trying to get your attention. 
And when you make a choice to repent and a choice to come to God the Father by faith, you will not find a stern father with his back turned to you, but rather you will find a loving father ready to shower you with his mercy. This is the God of Scripture. Jesus goes further to describe the father saying he ran and he embraced him. Now, ladies and gentlemen, in Eastern culture, this is not something that you would do. A father would not run. It was a sign basically of disrespect. It not only was this, but also it was a sign of his maturity, knowing now that he had sons to care for all of the family estate. So the father was never running. He was never in a hurry. So when Jesus begins to talk about this father running, everyone's eyes in the crowd would have gone extremely large. What? He's running? And yet this great truth teaches you and I that God the Father, when you begin to come to him in repentance, he doesn't wait for you to get to him. He runs right where you are. That's what he does. He runs to Now, that blows my brain considering the fact that God would run. God is described in the Bible as a mighty lion. I don't know about you, but if a lion's coming for me, right, it's like i got to get somewhere, all right? But this is not describing this lion ferociously coming with a list of rules and don'ts. You've got to do this to earn my love. This is a kind, loving, smiling, big-hearted God coming to you, right? Listen, even with the pig stain on your life, loving you, embracing you, kissing you. Look at verse 21. The son said to us, Uh, to him. Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And what I love about this is verse 22. He doesn't even say anything. Father, notice that. He's like, I'm not even worthy to be called your son. Here's what I plan to do to make it up for you. And the father doesn't even, he doesn't even say anything in response. I love this. Instead, he says, verse 22, bring out the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand, sandals on his feet. What? What is this? What kind of grace, what kind of love is this? Reminds us, by the way, that when you come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, God the Father says, quickly bring out the best robe and put it on him. And that robe is the robe of the righteousness of his own son. And God takes the royal righteous robes of his son and puts it on your back. And he does this because the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that God made Jesus who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So as soon as you come to Christ, boom, there's the royal righteous robe covering all of your sin, completely forgiven. He runs to you. It's like get a ring for him. Get, Get some sandals on his feet. These were By the way, uh, signatures of authority, they also were signatures of a free man. This young man, this young son who had come home was not coming home to be a slave in the father's house. He was coming home, listen, and becoming a free man. Now, y'all ain't listening to the preacher. This is where it's wild. My man wanted to leave the house to be free. I've got to get out of here, Dad. This is not for me. I just want some freedom. 
Come to find out, he was very quickly tied up in the cords of his own sin. And then the very freedom which he ran from is the freedom he experienced when he repented of his sin and came back to the Father. Listen, you this morning may be tied up in the cords of your own sin, and man, I pray your heart's not so hard and rebellious that you say, I will never come to God. Man, I pray that's not you. Because listen, if that's your attitude, God will say, that's fine. If you don't want me, you can spend eternity without me. That's how God is. But if you turn in repentance to the Lord by the power of the Holy Spirit, he will break the cords of sin and bring you into his family, put you some sandals on, here's a ring, here's a robe. Experience now what true freedom is. Experience now what feels that aching chasm in your heart. It is me, and it has been me all along. You can have that this morning. God offers this, and it ain't over. Y'all still with me, yeah? It gets even better. Look at 23 and 24. It's like, bring the fattened calf. Y'all know what a fattened calf is? In the Greek, that means that is a calf that is real fat. (laughs) Bring the fattened calf, kill it. Let us eat and celebrate, for this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found, and they began to celebrate, all right? And this is massive. This calf, usually a family would set one aside, and the whole purpose was just to get that bad boy fat so that they one day could have a party, and the father said, now's the time. Now's, kill it, and let's throw down. And this, by the way, you'll see next week, the older son comes home, and he hears the dancing, all right? Are y'all listening to the preacher? Here's the dancing. You got to be dancing hard for somebody to hear it. You know what I'm saying? These people are partying. So excited. Now, here's the phenomenal uh, truth. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2 that you are dead in your trespasses and sin. All right? And when you repent and come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are granted forgiveness, granted authority, granted an eternal home. And also, listen, you are granted life. And that's what he says. He says, this son of mine who was dead is now alive. And that's what occurs when you come home, when you come to Christ. You who were dead, boom, you're made alive by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's a supernatural work of God. And this can occur in your life. This can occur. Now, back out of the text for just a moment and get the grand scheme that's happening here. Luke chapter 15, we talked about the lost sheep. We talked about the lost coin, which magnified the reality that there are angels in heaven peering over the balcony into this thing called salvation, unable to figure it out, but just overwhelmed when a sinner repents, so much so that they rejoice in heaven and they have a party. This is the attitude of the angels, and God, by his grace, has chosen to uh, lift up out of the world a church That is the company of the called out ones. Everyone who would come to faith in Christ becomes a member of the church. And that church becomes a bride of Christ for eternity. And in the days ahead, God the Father will present the church, the bride, to his son in heaven. And the angels will be there at this particular wedding. And they will be overwhelmed by the multicolored wisdom of God. This is the picture, all right? But then add to that picture now the Father. He is running to you. 
running to you. And that's the deal this morning. Some of you have come to church and you're hanging out in your sin and God is looking down the driveway waiting for you to take a step toward him and he will come running to where you are. You don't have to, you don't have to impress God. And I love the fact you don't have to clean up to come to God. Listen, you can't clean up. That's why you need to come to God. He cleans you. Amen? God's grace rushing, rushing towards you. Let's bow together. Father, speak to hearts even now.